Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4. And we'll be continuing our study in the book of Timothy, uh, leaving where we left off in verse uh, 6. So let's start beginning there. It says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. As I started studying through this passage and reading through the passage over and over again, a couple words popped out at me. A couple words stood out to me, and I noticed that there were a lot of action words in this passage. Did you notice that? That there were a lot of action words. The words instruct, be nourished, exercise, labor and suffer, command and teach. And each one of these words are verbs. And the purpose of a verb is to describe an action. It's doing something. And because there is all action words in this passage, that means that this passage is very applicable to our lives. We need to be doing something. We need to apply this to our lives. And my prayer is that um, through this, the study of the Word of God today, that we might be all motivated to action. And speaking of action, how many of you guys enjoy the Olympics, watching the Olympics? A number of you guys enjoy the Olympics. And how many of you enjoy watching people, um, athletes perform and doing all the tricks? And um, it's really fun to watch. I enjoy watching the um, uh, one of the things is watching the, the gymnastics and them doing flips through the air and through the, the precision that they have to go through. Um, another interesting um, per athlete to watch is Michael Phelps and this, watching the swim competitions because he is such a better swimmer than everybody else. He, we know he's going to win. He's, he's a very fast swimmer. And as I sit back and watch, as I sit back on my couch and watch eating my potato chips, and drinking my two liter of soda, I think to myself, man, I wish one day I could be like that guy, Michael Phelps. Maybe I, I wish I could swim like that, or run like that, uh, Hussein Bolt, or, or the next um, gymnast, or the, the fastest diver. Or I like volleyball, so maybe, maybe I can play beach volleyball that well. And if I sit there and think, man, I wish I could be like that. And then right after I say that, an ad pops on the screen and says, buy these shoes. These shoes will make you run just like an Olympic athlete. For $299, you can have the skill of an Olympic athlete in no time. In three months, you'll be able to run just like the athlete. Would you buy that? <laughs> no, you'd be crazy to. There's, and the point is that I'm trying to make is that there's no shortcuts to becoming an athlete. They, they exercise. They strive to, to become who they are in those events. It takes years and years of practice. It takes um, sometimes even uh, a decade or more for them to become um, ready and physically fit to be 
above the competition. So, um, one of the, if I wanted to be a runner, the, uh, the head coach um, for Team Running USA said, said this, when it comes to running, it may take just uh, four to eight years just to develop the aerobic base necessary to compete in those events. Then you have to add on all the other training on top of that just to be on par with everybody else. A person must dedicate their lives. They must dedicate their lives to, to doing this. Some of them will start at a very early age, so I might be too old to even start. And the, the, the same thing is true with our, our spiritual lives. There's no shortcuts to becoming spiritually mature, spiritually, um, a spiritually godly person, Christian. We may look at spiritual giants, great men of faith, people who are very well, well preacher, good preachers, people who um, um, are, excel at different spiritual gifts. We may, we may sit back on our couch and go, man, I really wish I could be like that. I really wish that I could. Um, it would be nice to have that kind of faith, that kind of service, or that kind of ministry. But the, uh, the truth is that there's no short, quick, quick shortcuts to that. There's no uh, quick solution to becoming uh, a godly man or a godly woman. It takes time. It takes years of dedication. People don't just drift into godliness. It takes faithful dedication year after year and relentless discipline. And that's one of the words I want to focus on today, discipline. And, and as we study this passage, I want to look at six steps to becoming a good minister of Jesus Christ. And that's another focus. Um, six steps. The, the six um, verbs that we looked at today already are the six steps of becoming a good minister of Jesus Christ. So the first one in the passage, in verse 6, it says, Instruct the brethren in these things. Instruct the brethren in these things. This is a direct reference to the passage we studied last week, what Sam talked about, warning the, um, the brethren about the coming, um, uh, that people were going to stray from the faith, that they're going to depart from the faith. Those who have professed faith in Christ are going to apostatize. That means they're going to give up on their faith. That means they, they truly never believed, but they are going to be uh, swayed and persuaded by false doctrines and will teach others those doctrines. So it's important to, for Timothy to warn the church, to warn others, to let them know that this is going to be the case. And, the, and the, the key is that believers, by knowing, will be on guard to, to, to be aware of false teaching, to be aware of false doctrine, so that we can know, uh, we can be prepared to hear something. That doesn't sound right, and, um, and uh, get away from it. By instructing them, you are a good minister of Jesus Christ. And the word minister might give you a, a, um, the wrong impression. It might conjure up an image of a, of a man wearing a, a collar and a hat. But that's not the word that we're, um, that's not the, uh, the word that is here. The word in the Greek is diakonos. And it's something we studied a few weeks ago when we looked at the word deacon. And so it simply means here is a, is a man who is a servant. A man or woman who is a servant of Jesus Christ. And by instructing them, you're a good servant of Jesus Christ. If you want to be a good servant, this should be on the top of your list. These things should be on the top of your list. And we'll look at five more different 
aspects of good service or being a good servant of Jesus Christ. Did you catch the last phrase in that? It says to be a good servant of Jesus Christ, that we are a good servant, that we are servants of Jesus Christ. Imagine that. There are people that would dream of being a servant of their favorite actor or their movie star or favorite singer. They would, want, they would love to follow them around and to, to help them with whatever they had. And it would be an honor to do those things. But just think of the, the, the great honor that we have, that we are a servant of who? Jesus Christ. We're a servant of Jesus Christ. We should be willing to do whatever he wants us to do. We should be willing to do anything for him. And how much, how much greater of a person is he than a movie star or an athlete or, or a singer? We would want to hear the words from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servants. So the, so the instruction is that, Timothy, don't become deceived with these things. Warn the brethren. Be, what, be the opposite of what these apostates are doing. Know the word of God and instruct them in the truth. Teach them the truth. And so how, how can we teach them the truth? Well, we have to know the truth, right? We have to know the truth. And that's the next point is that it says that um, to be nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine, which you've carefully followed, to be nourished. And in the NASB, it says to be constantly nourished on the words of faith. That means he's constantly feeding daily on the word of God. Constantly feeding daily on the word of God. That, that is so important. It is so important for us. Imagine how many here this morning have not spent time last week in God's word. But if you can make a diary of going back to last Monday, if you were to make a diary of how many meals you had since Monday, what would it look like? Many of you would have at least have had three meals a day, probably more. I know I would have. Um, there's, there, you, you have, we focus on feeding our uh, flesh. We focus on eating breakfast and then going to work and having a snack in between and then having lunch and then going to Starbucks on the way home and then getting some food after that and then don't forget the midnight snack. <laughs> we are constantly feeding on our flesh. How much do we feed our spiritual life? How, how much do we feed ourselves spiritually? If I was to ask you how much you feed on the Word of God each week, what would that log look like? Are we gaining strength? Are we being nourished? Are we, getting, are we becoming more healthy by constantly being, reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, then meditating on it and, um, and memorizing it? The, the point is that it's important to that we feed on the word of God because it brings maturity to my life. It brings maturity. Are we gaining maturity? The result is that I grow. Am I, am I growing as a child of the Lord? Have you ever seen children who, have been, who are malnourished? I won't show any pictures because uh, some of them are pretty gross. But um, I looked at some, from, uh, some kids who are starving in Somalia and other places in the world and it's literally skin and bones. They have no, they have barely anything on their bodies. We don't want to become malnourished Christians. 
Those, those people in those countries are starving probably because there's famines or the lack of food. But we have food. We are able to. It's something that we can do. Don't become a self-inflicted, malnourished Christian. We must feed on the word of God. That means spending time daily in his word. Listen to his word preached. Uh, read, read the word of God. Study it. Meditate it. Memorize. And set a specific goal each day. Set aside 15 minutes a day to read through, systematically, through the word of God. Start in Genesis and go through it. Or start in Matthew and just go through the word of God and um, study it for yourself. And then look at what it says next. It says, To be nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Here's the real application of why we're nourished in the word of God. A good servant of the word of God is to follow the word of God, to carefully follow his word. As we look at the word of God, it convicts us. It shows us who we are and it should change our thinking. It should change our lives. We must look at, we can't look at the word of God and just like James says, that they look at, look at a mirror and then quickly forgets who they are. But we need to look at the word of God and as it reflects who we are, we need to see that and change and want to change. The second application of being, of carefully following the words, I think has to do with the words of faith and of the good doctrine. It means that we, we should be able to detect when someone is saying something wrong because we're carefully following what the word of God says. We know the doctrines of the faith. We know the, the words that, the, what the Bible says so that when we hear something else, a red, flag, a red flag will pop up and we'll know that this isn't right. This is, this is a little bit off. There's something not right here. So then we are able to detect error. And it becomes, and it comes from being a, a careful student of the word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we need to be diligent so that when someone says something wrong, it will pop out at us and we will, we will be able to defend our, our faith. The next is uh, the, third, the third area of being a godly um, or good servant of Jesus Christ is to reject any error and reject the distractions. Reject error. A good Olympic athlete trains well by being well-fed and nourished. They have to, they have to um, eat proper foods. They have to adhere to a strict diet. They can't eat junk food. They can't be eating um, foods that don't profit them. When I go running, the more that I run, the more that I exercise, the more I want to eat something that's healthy. I don't want to eat the junk food. It, it repulses me. I want to get rid of it. So I want to reject those things. I want to stay away from those things that aren't good for me, that aren't going to profit. Yesterday I was walking around my neighborhood and just getting a little exercise. And as I went down one of the blocks, I saw an ice cream truck coming by. And I was like, that could be a distraction. That could... What I'm doing is I'm exercising, but that, will, that could tear away, take away from what I'm doing now. And we don't want to get sidetracked by those things. A good minister of Jesus Christ is to reject anything that's unprofitable for spiritual health. So we must reject the error and anything that opposes the truth. Instead, we feed on the word of God and the truth. And then verse 7, this is what it says. 
but reject profane and old wives' fables. So a good minister is one who will avoid the influence of unholy teaching. That's what profane really means. It's something that's against God. And then it says old wives' fables. And those are just myths. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he tells him that the time is coming that there will be people that won't follow sound doctrine anymore. And then he says, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So they'll replace the truth with fables. And so the opposite of truth is fables. It's myths. And these things contradict the word of God. There, there are many things that we, we have been taught um, that sometimes we don't realize aren't true. Uh, there are myths that we can, we can, come, uh, um, we can believe because they, they sound believable. They sound like they're true, but they really aren't, and there's not really any facts. And maybe it's something that's been passed to us from somebody else that we know. Um, one of the things that um, you, you might have all heard the phrase, blind as a bat. Well, the, the, the truth is that bats, bats are not actually blind. Bats are not actually blind. They actually have good eyesight. They have eyes, and they can see. But the, uh, the, the myth comes from that they, they look like they can't fly, but they also, um, they also fly sporadically. Um, but they also have something called echolocation, which they can fly at night. So they aren't blind. They can see. Um, another thing is, um, is that... Um, you might have heard that you're, uh, when, you, when you bleed, your blood is, bl- is red, but inside your body, is, it's blue. But that's also not true as well. It's, um, it does have the appearance of looking blue. When you look at your veins, you'll see that they look blue, but they're actually just a darker red pigment. And I, asked, I verified it with Sharon. She, so she's our medical expert here. <laughs> so the, po- the point I'm trying to make is that uh, there are things that... Um, that maybe common, commonly believes, but necessarily aren't true. And it can happen that way in the, um, in the Christian sense. We can hear a preacher. We can hear someone on the radio. It doesn't, it doesn't validate uh, a Christian preacher on the radio or a Christian speaker here or there. It doesn't validate their message is true. How do we know that they are true? We have to take it back to the Word of God. So even anything that I'm saying to you today, make sure it's in line with what the Scripture says. Don't just believe me. Believe what God says. So if it doesn't line up, then reject it. Throw it out. The next, the next one is exercise yourself towards godliness. Exercise. To be a good servant of Jesus Christ, we must exercise ourselves towards godliness. It says in the passage, exercise towards godliness for bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. A good athlete must reject the things that distract and hinder progress, and they also must put in the time to exercise. If you want to be good at running, you have to train and run. I mean, it makes sense, but... um, if you want to be successful, you have to put the time in. You have to exercise. If I wanted to be a good piano player, I, will, I don't wake up one day and um, say, start playing Mozart. I actually have to put in the time, years of time and preparation of learning theory and learning how to play the piano and uh, studying it be it to be able to play Mozart. 
It takes time. And, if you, and it takes discipline as well. It takes discipline. And it's important because, um, and any, any, any athlete will tell you that discipline is one of the keys to success, is that discipline is very important. You have to have a detailed plan to train and to become the athlete that you want to be. And in the end, it will pay off. Let's say you want to uh, be the next Michael Phelps or to be better than Michael Phelps. Well, this is the training plan that you'd have to take to become and the discipline that you would have to have to be an Olympic athlete comparable to Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps' um, swimming workout is so intense that he consumes 12,000 calories through the day. And so he has to be consuming that much food to compensate for the workout routine. I think the normal um, calorie intake is 2,000 in a day for, for a normal person. Uh, during, the, during the periods when Phelps is training the hardest, he will swim a minimum of 80,000 meters. And that's equivalent to 50 miles a week. 50 miles a week. I don't think um, I, I walk or run that much in a week or a month. <laughs> he practices twice a day. And about four to five, five to six hours a day, <clears throat> six days a week. And that's just the swimming part of it. Then he also has gym, um, gym exercises. He goes three days a week to the gym and other um, outdoor exercises that he does as well. But Michael Phelps has a very disciplined schedule so that he can be a successful athlete, so that he can win and that he can, so that he can win the gold medals. And that's how he does win. And he devotes his life through discipline. He devotes his life As believers, we need to exercise towards godliness. We want to compete in the race, but we don't always want to do the work to get to that point. If we want to see the results in the Christian walk, then we need to be disciplined. I said before that people don't drift into godliness. It doesn't happen naturally. It takes effort, and it takes hard work. In today's society, you hear a lot of magic diet plans. You know, take this pill and the fat will just melt away. You know, we, in American society today, we just want the, you know, the, the you know, I want to lose all the weight, um, but I want to do as little exercise as possible and eat all the same foods. But people want the quickest, effortless solution and get the maximum results, but that's not the way it works. These diets won't work and there's no shortcuts to losing weight to, or to exercise. The most effective way to lose weight and to keep it off is to make changes in your lifestyle. And it is to eat healthy and to be physically active. Those two simple things. And it's also true, it's applicable in the spiritual life to be spiritually fit. We must be nourished in the word of God, like I said earlier. Reject things that detract from that and then uh, be spiritually active by following the Word of God, by looking at what the Word of God says and exercising those. It says that we have to be exercised towards godliness. What does godliness mean? Well, it means God-likeness, to be God-like, in the, in the sense that we are imitators of Christ. We are looking at the life of Christ and we are imitating His life. And godliness is, is achieved through some of the means I've already talked about earlier, but it's exercising 
time in the Word of God. It's exercising being a diligent student of the Word of God by looking at it, understanding what it really says and what it means. And it's memorizing. It's taking what you have learned and applying it to your life. That's the whole purpose of reading. Reading the Word of God is, is so that I grow. It's so that I can develop. In your spiritual exercise, you're training up areas in your life that are weak. And I've had this opportunity this week to get some feedback from a few people who uh, know me pretty well. Um, and I've asked them to, uh, by asking them uh, to tell me what areas I'm weak in and areas that I can grow. And it's good to ask others because we can be blind to our own faults. We can be blind to um, areas that we're weak in. This week, ask a friend um, who knows you well, or, or uh, your husband or your wife or um, your mom. Ask them areas that you can grow in. There could be a weakness in being a, a man or woman of God in, in prayer or in witnessing to others, or speaking kindly to one another, or being too selfish and inconsiderate of others, or not having a servant's heart, or not showing hospitality. What areas in this week, this week can you start um, exercising? What areas in your life can you start exercising? Do you know the areas that you're weak in? If you don't, then ask somebody that knows you well and find out, and then exercise them this week. And, and spiritual exercise isn't just a week. It, just doesn't, it doesn't happen in just a week. It is, it is a lifelong exercise. It is constantly, something that happens constantly. And it says next in the passage, it says, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. The physical exercise is important, but it only has a limited benefit. It only has a short-term, um, short-term effect. It's good for you to be healthy. It's good for you to exercise and to be, uh, to be fit. But it only has, um, it only has certain uh, benefits. It profits a little. Once you die, for for example, once you die, all of that, all of the exercise that you've gone through in your whole life, doesn't mean anything anymore. So it's only good for this life. It only lasts for this life. And another reason is that it's only good as long as you keep it up. That means that the moment that you stop working out, after months and months of working out, and you stop for a month, you're going to be back to where you were again. You're going to lose a lot of that all, that, all that hard work that you put in there. You're going to lose some of it. You're not going to lose all of it, but you'll lose a lot of it. <clears throat> so even in this life, it only lasts for a short period of time. I watched a video of a, um, a street evangelist, Ray Comfort, and he was going and sharing the gospel to a, a, a man who was um, on the streets at, at the beach. And he was a very physically fit man, very, in very good shape. Um, and so Ray Comfort was going and sharing the gospel like he does and telling him about the, um, that, um, asking him if, if he was going to die tonight, where would he go? And you could tell that the guy was, didn't really care what he was saying. He told him that he was an atheist and it didn't really, didn't really bother him what was going to happen. And he said that, um, he said, I'm here for me. And then Ray shared the gospel with him and told him, you know, what would it profit a man if he 
gained their whole world and loses his own soul. Or maybe, what would it profit the man if he gained all the muscle in the world and loses his own soul? Would you give this some thought? And his response was, no. You know, I'm living my life now and I'm living my life for the physical. I, I'm not, and he asked him about, are you afraid to die? What if you were to die tonight? What would happen? You know, that's going to happen. It's inevitable. But he wasn't worried about the future. He didn't know about what was going to happen. Or he, didn't, he didn't care about what was going to happen. And he was focused on being physically fit. He was focused on his life here. And as Christians, can we be guilty of this? Yes, I know that we're going to heaven. We know that we're going to heaven. But can we be so wrapped up in this life that we forget about eternity? That we forget about... Um, are we more concerned about our physical life? Can we, do we lose sight of the big picture? You know, this world isn't going to last. It's only going to be here temporarily. It's all going to be burned up in the end. So then what really matters is what happens after this. It happened, what, what matters is our eternal life. This is why Paulo says that godliness is profitable for all things. Its profit is not only for this life, but also that which is to come. So what is, what is the point of godliness? What is our motivation? An Olympic athlete is disciplines, disciplines themselves with intense training and diet and exercise, and they sacrifice their time and money and um, family and friends. They, they do all of that so they can be the very best at their sport. And why do they do that? Why do they go through all of that work? They are motivated. And what motivates them? They strive because they want to win the prize. They want to win the gold medal. They want the honor and the fame that goes along with that. They look, for, they look towards that. What is our motivation to be disciplined as Christians? What is our motivation to pursue godliness? We look forward to the end results. What's the end results? There are actually two results. Two end results. And, the, and, the, and better than results, it's actually promises. Did you notice that? That it's a promise. The first promise is that godliness is profitable for this life. That means it's beneficial for you today. If you pursue godliness in this life, you'll grow spiritually. You'll develop. You'll mature. And how does that happen? It happens through spending your time, time in the Word of God and doing what it says. It's okay to do some physical exercise. It's okay to be, spiritually, or to be physically fit. But physical, fit, but spiritual fitness, spiritual fitness is of much more value. It's much more important. All the other stuff is going to burn up in the end. All of it's not going to last. And people can become so preoccupied with physical fitness that they spend more time exercising their body than they do sp- spending time in the Word of God. They spend more time at the gym than they do opening up their Bibles. But spiritual fitness lasts not only for now, but also for the life that is to come. That's the second promise, that godliness is profitable for the life to come. It is profitable for eternity. And that's our motivation. Look at what Paul's motivation was for exercise, for for being spiritually fit. He says, do you not know, this is in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Again, I'll put that up on the screen. Uh, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. 
And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. That means that they're self-controlled. That means that they are um, disciplined. Now they do, it to pr- they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should, be, I myself should become disqualified. And an Olympic athlete strives and, and is motivated to win a perishable crown. It isn't going to last. But we are to strive and to discipline and to be temperate in those things for an imperishable crown. That's what, we are, that's what we are motivated to. And anyone who competes is temperate. They're self-controlled. That's one of the fruit of the spirits. And Paul says that he disciplines his body to bring it into subjection. Any distractions, any hindrances, any sin in his life must be controlled so that you can run in such a way to obtain that prize. And we don't want to become disqualified in our service for the Lord. In Hebrews, it says this, Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1, it says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run the race, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God. We must lay aside every weight, any anything that entangles us, any sin, so that we can run even uh, even stronger, even better. And we are to our focus is on Jesus. The whole time our focus is on Jesus who ran before us and who finished, who is the author and finisher of our faith. He is our example. And the last one, or sorry, the second to last one, the fifth point is that we are to labor and suffer. Labor and suffer. It says, for to this end we labor and suffer reproach. The life of, a, life of an Olympic athlete is one who, um, of sacrifice and self-denial and an athlete's workout routine is hard it's strenuous it's laborious um, it's it's tough most of the time people will give up and they don't make it to the olympic athletes or don't make it to be an olympic athlete they don't make it that far they give up but the ones that are successful they put they they endure to the end they push themselves to the end and they they suffer and labor through it they um, the word suffer is also, suffer reproach, the other translations say strive. They strive for the, for the end results. To be disciplined as a Christian, it does come with um, sacrifice. We have to give up some things to be able to do those things, to be able to, to be um, a faithful Christian, to be one who is disciplined. It may be sacrificing time, doing other things that we enjoy doing in order to do, to do that. The faithful Christian should have eternity in view. That that's should be our main focus, is that when we are willing to labor and suffer, that's, that's what will make us willing, and, uh, willing to suffer and the consequences and suffer reproach from others, suffer backlash from other people who um, ridicule us from doing those things. But the Christian service is a life of agonizing, 
of exhaustion, endless work and labor. But we do it because we have the proper mindset, because uh, we have things, because we want to do something that counts for eternity, not for just this life, but for eternity. And one of those is seeing souls saved, seeing the gospel go out. And, and we do this because we trust in the living God. We trust in the living God. And look at what Paul says, or look at what Paul did in his life. He labored for the gospel. Without his hard work, it, it's, it's very likely that we wouldn't be here today um, with, the, with the truth of the word of God. We wouldn't know the gospel if it wasn't for his hard work and laboring. He went through, um, he, he labored in the gospel. He was uh, beat, he, was, he went through shipwrecked, and there's a whole list of things that he went through um, in order that we might have heard the gospel. There's, if you look at the, the, the story or the, the, the timeline of people who have labored after the gospel so that we might know the gospel ourselves. These, these men were dedicated. These men um, went through hard work to do that. That should be our focus. If we're lazy, if we, don't, if we just put off, put off these things and say, you know, that's something that I don't really don't want to do right now. I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven, so, you know, I've got that part. But the fact is that our lives here could have, have an impact for eternity. What we do here have an impact on other people's lives, other people knowing the gospel. And that's why it is important. And it goes on and says that <clears throat> we labor because we strive, because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. And what does Paul mean here when he says that, especially of those who believe? Well, we know that it isn't, um, it isn't true that all men are saved. So what does he mean? And some people will interpret this and say that God is the Savior of all men in a general sense, that God provides and protects and cares for all, and all fall under this general protection of care from God. And for believers, then he is the Savior, in a, in a, especially in a special sense, that, he, that those who have believed on him have been forgiven and have eternal life. And the other interpretation, which I prefer, is that Jesus is the Savior of all men, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all men, and that, is that, and that meaning that he has provided a sufficient sacrifice for all to believe. It doesn't mean that everyone believes, there are, but it means that all, can, all men can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. In that sense, all men have the potential to be saved. But we know that that's not always, but we know that not everyone chooses to believe. And they reject God and his sacrifice that he made. But Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose again the third day so that you might have eternal life. And those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will have eternal life. And be forgiven of their sins. God has provided a way of salvation. He's provided a way for all men. And God has provided, and he desires that all men be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. And lastly, verse 11, it says, These things command and teach. These things refer to everything we've studied this, this week and last week. To be a good servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must command and teach these things to others and to, to let them know the truths of the word of God. 
These aren't a bunch of suggestions and, you know, possibly, you know, you, you might want to think about doing these things and if you've got time, you could do those. But no, these aren't suggestions. These are commands. These are commands. And a good servant follows the word of God and teaches others these, others these things because they are extremely important. And why is, that, why is it so important? Because the truth is so important. It has an effect on our eternity. It has an effect on our lives. And so warning brothers from being, being um, caught up in false doctrines and strain and being deceived by them, it's important. We can save others. We can save uh, other brothers from falling, falling away from the truth. And we need to be constantly nourished on the word of God. Instruct the brothers. Be, be um, constantly nourished on the word of God and follow what he teaches. We must reject the promotion of the lies and the myths so that, because they don't profit anyone, but lead to more ungodliness. Instead, we must exercise towards godliness. Exercise. And then we must be willing to suffer, reproach, and labor for the truth because we have eternity in light in our, in our minds. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus instead of the here and now to command and teach these things. This is the life of a good servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. And Lord, we pray that the... Um, that we would be um, good servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be faithful and have a dis- live a disciplined life, Lord, that we would recognize the need to be nourished on the word of God so that we might know the truth, that we might instruct others about the truth. And Lord, that we might take what we learn from your word and exercise it. Lord, show us this week areas in our lives that we are weak. Lord, help us to grow, help us to mature, and to focus on eternity and not on this physical life. Lord, let us spend our time with eternity in mind instead of being caught up with the physical. Lord, I pray that we would mature as Christians and that we would be willing to suffer for your sake, Lord, that that others might hear the gospel and that they might be saved. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.